Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Kenny's Breakdown, episode 123, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SCC. And after the holidays, um, we finally had some time to get the triumvirate back together. So my co-hosts, Bill Sykes and Will Miles, join us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. You can find Bill on Twitter, at RealBSykes, and the founder of ReadAndReaction.com is Will Miles, and you can find Will on Twitter, at Will Miles SCC. So, Will, uh, just quickly, how's how's the site going right now? Oh man, it's going great. It's going great. We're having a bunch of people come and read what we're doing, and uh, you know, a lot of engagement, a lot of engagement on Twitter, a lot of engagement on the site. It's been great. So, thanks everybody for reading and uh, and for keeping me right. And while it's so <laughs> so cold up here in Philadelphia, uh, yeah, I'm just thawing out in Florida, by the way, but. Uh, I tell you, the article I can't wait to read on readingreaction.com is how much Bill loves the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> Did you say loathe or love? Love. Yeah, well, that, that wasn't me, man. <laughs> I hate that movie. <laughs> that opinion's about as popular as UCF raising that national championship banner. So. Yeah, I was going to say, Will, I mean, if your website started off good, you might as well just go ahead and declare yourself a national champion. I mean, why not? Oh, oh. <laughs> the side is undefeated, so you might as well. It is. It is. You have not lost to a Power Five team. <laughs> well, on, on the I mean, Alabama's declared themselves national champions like six times when they didn't necessarily win anything, right? So we're uh, yeah, that's like an eight and four season. They're claiming they're, they're <laughs> it says the fine print or thereabouts. Yeah. <laughs> so, so can we claim four and seven? I think that was good enough. I mean, we beat Tennessee. Yeah, I think so. I mean, how I felt that day, yeah. I felt like a national champion after <laughs> after beating Tennessee again. Aye. And then later on when we fired McElwain, it felt like one then too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can we get a banner for that? We fired Mac? Yeah, and championship uh, rings. As, as long as they take down those awful SEC East champion uh, sides <laughs> up on the swamp. <laughs> oh, nice nice guys remember out there you can find all your gators breakdown episodes on soundcloud itunes google play and youtube search on those sites to get the links by following gators breakdown on twitter and on facebook at gators breakdown when you're on itunes or google play hey great review the show let gator nation know what they're getting with gators breakdown look those reviews i've you know i've kept tabs on them on itunes and stuff and that really helps us you know, we get to share them and everybody else gets to see it if they're just getting familiar with Gators Breakdown. Uh, you guys out there who have left reviews, thank you very much because it, uh, it really helps us there. So, guys, a little bit of breaking news before we uh, started the podcast. Uh, C.C. Jefferson is staying for his senior season, uh, tweeted on Wednesday evening. Senior year, about to be one to remember. Road to Atlanta, go Gators. Uh, I'm sure he was waiting on his NFL draft grade, and we don't know the results of that, but I think it's a uh, beneficial uh, that he's coming back for himself just to get to play in the new 3-4 Todd Grantham defense. And, Bill, I know you've been banging the drum uh, about Jefferson's potential in this new defense. And, hey, it's just like for Dan Mullen, it's like bringing in new recruits, getting transfers, Van Jefferson and Trayvon Grimes. Being able to keep juniors on your team is also a big step in the right direction. Yeah, it absolutely is. And as far as Jefferson's concerned, I mean, there were some – criticism of them I saw on Twitter and, and I, I've seen the same criticism for a few of these smallest defensive ends they played with this year about them getting pushed around the running game. And it's like, well, 
They're 240 pounds trying to set the edge at a 4-3 defensive end in the SEC. That's just not a recipe for success. And so I don't want to excuse, you know, when there's been a uh, a defeat on a play-by-play basis or in a game or whatever. But and when you look at a guy like Jefferson, that's about 6'1", 245 pounds, highly athletic, a guy that can move around well in space, that's a good first step. I mean, man, that's that's a guy you want coming off the edge as a, a three, four outside linebacker and a guy that I think that uh, Grantham could do a lot of different things with, that uh, he can kind of put him around in space at times and, and you know, a little trickery and, and have him coming off bringing the heat on other at other times. I think this is a, a big boost for the for the defense and the team as a whole. I think it's going to really generate some morale in the locker room and, and some momentum going into spring. And, and he gives them a guy that – can be a cornerstone of this defense, a guy that can bring the heat and, and provide that aggression and disruption that Grantham wants to provide. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think they were asking him to do something that maybe you don't necessarily want somebody that size to do, but he still had 13 and a half tackles for loss and four and a half sacks. And he was a five-star recruit coming in. And, you know, that's not absolutely everything, but it means something. And, you know, you put him in the right situation with the right strength and conditioning program in the right scheme. And all of a sudden those 13 and a half tackles for loss become really, really disruptive getting to the quarterback. So, you know, if that's what Grantham does, if he just unloads him towards the quarterback, you can see a season where maybe he puts up eight nine, 10 sacks and, you know, significantly improves his draft stock while also really contributing to what Florida's doing. The other thing is Florida's defense is really, really young. Again, this year, it's going to be young. I mean, you've still got the young corners in Henderson and Marco Wilson. Chauncey Gardner's only a junior. You're probably going to be bringing in a linebacker who's going to start as a freshman since you're running a 3-4. Granted, some of these defensive ends may slide back to linebacker, but it's going to be a young defense again. And so, um, you know, it's a pretty talented first unit, but it's going to be young. And so having a senior come back and be able to lead and, and sort of show those guys how to work, I think, will be an important factor to the season. Guys, I'll ask your opinion. Do you think it maybe was more that he didn't get the draft grade he wanted, or do you think he wanted to play his senior season at Florida uh, with what Dan Mullen has cooking uh, in, in year one in the Todd Grantham defense? I'd say both. I mean, you know, he, <clears throat> I think he's got a lot to prove for the NFL, but at the same time, if you're going to get a chance to prove it, this situation is perfect for him. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect scheme. It's obvious, and we're going to get into this a little later, but they've got some veteran coaches that know how to put guys in the NFL coming in on the defensive side of the ball, some guys that have been around a long time and have proven they can use guys like him in this system. I think it's just a, a perfect opportunity for him to boost his draft stock, and I think he can show a lot this year. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of it has to do with the four and seven record and that sort of sticking, you know, that bad taste being in his mouth. Because he saw Jordan Sherritt get injured, and you know, Sherritt had to basically retire in the last couple of weeks, and and so you know that risk is there. And you know, if you're a second, third, fourth round draft pick, you're still making life changing money. Um, you know, so so I imagine that a lot of this has to do with his love for college and the fact that he thinks he can really excel in this system. Um, and maybe he improves himself to a first or second round draft pick, but I think a lot of it has to do with how last season went. Yeah, I think I can have a lot to do with it too. And I, and I think like Bill said, it's beneficial now when he's when teams in the NFL are looking at tape of him, they'll have him in multiple defenses now and see how he can react in a 4-3 style defense and now a 3-4 defense. So I think it it is very beneficial for him uh, now to be so multiple in in what he's putting on tape. Yeah, well, and you can think of Dante Fowler and sort of his role. Um, You know, that's sort of the same size, the same type of quickness um, profile that CeCe Jefferson has. And, you know, he's going to be given that sort of opportunity to make plays in a Grantham defense. Um, You know, I know Grantham isn't, he has, he said he's not necessarily beholden to a three, four, but you know, that's where he wants to go. And if he he can get defensive ends to stand up and essentially be that outside linebacker that he's looking for, then that's what he's going to do. Yeah. And and ultimately, you know, the one thing that we've been told to expect is a lot of multiple formations and multiple looks. And he's going to try to keep it, you know, fresh and keep teams guessing against this defense. And, and, and when I'm, I'm going to clarify what I meant earlier when I said they put him in space, I don't mean that he's going to be some traditional like outside linebacker, but I think there's going to be times when they do drop him in into coverage. Just it may be whether he would in a zone blitz type of look, you know, just kind of try to trap a quarterback into throwing where he thinks there's an empty space or whatever. Uh, I think they could change the pace with him if they have success with the edge rush to the degree that I think they can with CC Jefferson out there. I think it just gives them another tool for him to kind of keep teams guessing. Absolutely. So CC Jefferson coming back from his senior year, big news for Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham in that defense, uh, leading the way in Dan Mullen's first year. 
coming up this spring and and the fall. So guys, after early signing period and the holidays, uh, wasn't really much news out there. Uh, started kind of this week though. We had the Under Armour game practice, and we'll get to to some of that uh, as well, and some coaching staff thoughts. We know some new hires were made as well, <clears throat> but we had kind of planned on talking some offense and, and quarterbacks here. Here and Will on readingreaction.com, you have really illustrated the Dan Mullen offense um, kind of recently with some of your articles uh, from its creativity to how adaptable to quarterbacks uh, for it, it, how adaptable for quarterbacks it is. Uh, and if, and the quarterbacks Florida has on the roster that fit into the scheme. Uh, now we all remember Mullen telling us how he can adapt his system to a quarterback, but we know the physical makeup of quarterback it takes for this offense to take off. It's a, a big bodied six, two, six, three, 230-pound quarterback that has some mobility. Uh, well, the only quarterback on Florida's roster that currently fits that mold is Felipe Franks, uh, a little taller at 6'5", but weighs 222. Um, I think in, he has enough mobility. Uh, he has the physical attributes, uh, but we all wonder if he can be developmentally. That's the big question with Felipe Franks. Uh, of course, Florida's bringing in signee Emory Jones, who will have to pack on some pounds. He's about 195 now, and he has said Mullen wants him at 217. Pounds, so he'll have to hit the weights hard this offseason. Uh, Kyle Trask has a size at 6'4", 227, but I have my doubts with his limited playing time in high school and so far in college. Sat on the bench in high school in the, in the spread offense, albeit uh, behind a quarterback more suited for that offense. Jake Allen, not prototypical fit for Dan Mullen, but we'll see if, if Mullen can work some magic there uh, if he was to be the quarterback. And, Will, that brings us to Kadarius Tony and what to do with him. Uh, with the quarterbacks that I just mentioned, if you want quarterbacks that fit the system, then the depth chart isn't that great. And Tony, you have a player that played high school football, a uh, high school quarterback, um, finished his senior season with 2,894 yards and 32 touchdowns through the air. Also ran for 894 yards and 15 touchdowns. Uh, 6A uh, back of the year in Alabama, uh, made uh, AL.com Super State team played in the uh, 2016 Alabama Mississippi All-Star Classic was named offensive MVP of 2016 uh, he has the yards even his junior season 3604 yards 37 touchdowns passing rushed for 896 yards uh, and 16 touchdowns um, and so now we know he has become a playmaker at the wide receiver position and a guy Mullen can use that way but with the lack of fit at quarterback Tony may get a shot at quarterback and I don't think it's a bad idea I know some are worried about the injury concerns from this past season and the reports from fall camp when struggling throwing the ball. Now, those two points, yes, he got injured, and yes, he needs to pack on some pounds, but I don't believe in not using someone as a best option because they might get hurt. Uh, we know the lack of strength and conditioning with recent reports and the info we've gotten from the previous staff. Uh, and as far as struggling last season throwing the ball – uh, the system wasn't really made for him. And I don't believe he was getting the right coaching from McElwain and Nussmeyer. So, Will, when you brought it up last year, I wasn't for it because of the staff's lack of using running quarterbacks in the right way and not really being a fit. But now I really can get on board with it. Yeah, you know, that's a little bit of a misnomer, though, because I don't know that he's necessarily a running quarterback. When you go and look at what he did in high school, he completed 70.6% of his passes his senior year, and that was 252 attempts. And those weren't little dump-offs. He averaged 11.5 yards per attempt. So, you know, is he is he just a running quarterback? I don't think that's necessarily true. I think he's a quarterback. And you go look at some of his highlight films, There there are plays where he's in the pocket, the pocket starts to collapse, and he sort of slides one way or the other and delivers the throw. He's not immediately putting his eyes down and taking off like you would think with the traditional running quarterback. So, you know, I, I think there's something there. I think it's really, really difficult to complete 70% of your passes in any offense. And it, it indicates decent footwork. It indicates that you go to the right spot with the ball. It probably also indicates that we're a lot of bubble screens and, and some guys who, who took the ball a decent amount of you know, took the ball eight or nine yards off those bubble screens. But part of the reason those bubble screens are open is because of the threat of the quarterback running in the backfield. And he certainly has that component. Um, you know, as far as durability is concerned, Emory Jones separated his shoulder last year too. So, you know, a separated shoulder is an injury that a running quarterback is just going to be exposed to from time to time. And it's something that can happen. Now, if it becomes recurrent, if you're separating your shoulder over and over and over again, then certainly that's a problem. But, um, you know, it, in a running offense, and we saw this with Mississippi State with Fitzgerald. I mean, you know, the quarterback is at risk. 
and the quarterback sometimes is going to get injured, and the Fitzgerald injury was really awful, and that has nothing to do with him being 240 pounds or not lifting enough weights. It's just when a big guy comes down on your ankle, that's the end of it. So um, if you're going to run your quarterbacks, they might get injured, and that sort of means I think you need three, four, five guys who conceivably can do those sorts of things that you want. And, uh, you know, I, I think we had sort of talked a little bit an episode or two ago about Tony maybe playing the Tebow role in the Wildcat formations while Emory Jones was the starter. But I sort of proposed in this article, why not flip that around where Emory Jones is the guy running those third and one, fourth and one plays while Tony is the quarterback and you protect him on those short plays by not having him do that. Well, I actually like that. That was probably my favorite part of the article is how you, you proposed that kind of reverse role uh, as far as spelling Tony with Emory Jones um, to complement his skill set. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty cool vision the way you laid that out. And, and I think that if, if they came up with, with something to kind of mitigate the concerns there, it, it could be successful. And I think to be fair, he could just be a very successful quarterback to a certain degree. I, I tend to think though, that as much as you're right about the correlation between accuracy and, and in high school and college, I think the physical limitations from his frame are an equally valid concern. Um, I actually looked back uh, to find how many SEC quarterbacks had recently won SEC titles if they were under six feet. And I went all the way back to Danny Werfel in 96 at UF. And since Danny Werfel won an SEC title at Florida, um, there have only been two that were under six feet tall. And I mean, any team in the SEC to win the conference. And those were Chris Leak and Blake Sims in 2016 Alabama. Now, Chris Leak was 71.88 inches at the NFL Combine. So they rounded him up to six feet. And Blake Sims was 71.5 inches. So he was six foot and a half, or 5'11 and a half. They rounded him up to six feet as well. There have not been any 5'11 quarterbacks. And I know that sounds a little trite and like I'm saying, oh, well, I'm just oversimplifying it. He could be good. He could he could be a Doug Flutie, or he could be the next Kadarius Tony that breaks the mold. Um, but when you look at a five foot eleven, one hundred ninety four pound guy, I think there are real concerns there about him seeing over the offensive line. You know, with Treyon Harris struggled with that. He was about the same size frame. Um, I, I think Mullen wants a guy that can can really move the pile as a quarterback, a guy that can go take 10 carries if he has to a game and hold up to that beating. And, and at that size frame, I'm just not sure that he would be the long-term answer. Yeah. I mean, I can understand how you, how that would be people's concerns. I mean, I think if you really want the big guy who's going to move the pile, then Trask is maybe that guy. <laughs> and he, and he's come, he, you know, he only had 64 pass attempts a senior year, but he completed 73% of them. Problem is that's in garbage time, but you look at Derek King, who was the guy in front of him. I mean, that guy's at Houston now lighting it up. He had like a 155 QB rating this year. Sure. So, so, you know, the guy in front of him was not somebody who's flamed out in college. It's somebody who's come in and been a, been a damn good quarterback. So, you know, maybe Trask is that guy I, you know i just look at the roster and i say okay who's a sure thing there isn't a sure thing right. but if you but but you know we heard a lot in camp last year about tony struggling the ball struggling to throw the ball and and I, I would caution people to take to take that with a grain of salt because it's a very small sample size of media people who saw him throw when the practices were open. And you look at his high school sample size, it's 250 throws and he completed 70% of them. Like I, to me, I'm much more apt to, to believe that than I am to believe that he threw a couple of worm burners in practice and people went, Oh, he can't throw a screen pass. Like, so, you well, know, they probably had a better scheme at his high school. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's entirely possible as well. Entirely possible as well. It's a lot I, better coaching. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you, David, that the idea that Tony and last year's offense, I still think probably would have been better than some of the things that yeah. we saw just because he could have made plays with his feet when there were issues, he could have gotten to the outside, those sorts of things. Um, and again, I, I don't think you rule out Franks. The problem with Franks is that, you know, the, the whole point of the article was to compare high school completion percentage and college completion percentage. And they're almost always within two or 3% of each other. There are some outliers and, you know, usually that has to do with the high school offense the guy ran. So Nick Fitzgerald completed like 45% of his passes in high school, but he was running a triple option offense. And then he comes to Mississippi State, he completes 55%. So there's a pretty big jump there. But, but the crux was that it's always relatively close. And so, 
Frank's performance last year, he completed around 55% of his passes, is right in line with what he did in high school. So the fact they wouldn't let him or that he didn't throw downfield really hinders him because that's his strength, is his arm strength, his ability to fit the ball into tight spots, um, you know, those sorts of things. And I think that accuracy number correlates with your ability to read defenses. I really do. I, th I think that the that when you talk about development and a coach developing a quarterback and teaching somebody to read defenses, I think the accuracy comes from going to the right place. Because you look in college and most of the time, Baker Mayfield had guys who were six yards open the other day against one of the best defenses in the country. All he had to do was get it in the general vicinity, especially in that first half. And so if that's all you have to do as a quarterback, then it's really reading the defense and getting it to the right spot. It's not putting it right on the guy's hands so that he can run right in stride. You don't have to throw guys open, even in the SEC very often. You got to do that in the NFL. You don't necessarily have to do that in college. And look, we saw that a lot with, with Tebow and, and going back to when Mullen was offensive coordinator. It was a lot of, hey, just throw the ball close because with Tebow's running ability and, and, show, and making that defense cheat up, you had receivers getting behind coverages and and really being wide open. So I know we were talking about size and has it at how it may relate to durability. And the name I went to to kind of compare that everybody would kind of know and it would be really really close is Quentin Flowers at USF. And now I know it's different from the AAC to the SEC in the week after week pounding you would get. But Flowers six foot two ten, Tony right now five eleven one ninety four. So he, yes, he would have to pack on some some pounds. Uh, so with new strength and conditioning, uh, he could put on some more weight and be similar to flowers. And look, flowers ran the ball and he ran the ball a lot. His sophomore season, 191 carries averaged 15 carries a game for 1,078 yards. He averaged 5.2 uh, yards per carry. His junior season had 198 carries averaged 15 carries a game again for 1,530 yards. He averaged 7.7 yards per carry. And this past year, his senior season, 196 attempts in 12 games because two were canceled. So he averaged 16 carries a game there uh, for 1,078 yards. So 5.5 average yards per carry there. So, you know, I, it can be done with quarterbacks that run a lot and, and that size if Tony can pack on 10 or 15 more pounds. It, it's been done and it's been done successfully. And Will, you pointed out today when I brought up Quentin Flowers' name, Gator fans would kill for that pro productivity right now. Oh, I mean, he, he's leading offense that's lighting things up, especially two years ago with Taggart at the helm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, based on what we have seen over the last eight years at this point, um, I think we've learned a couple of things. One is that you got to go with the best guy at the position, um, depth at other positions, you know, need to take a back seat. So the idea that you should put Tony at wide receiver just because you like having all your playmakers on the field, it's like, I kind of feel like you need the best trigger man out there. And the second thing I think we've learned is that you're probably going to need more than two quarterbacks to get through a season in the SEC at least at Florida, because we haven't done it. And I mean, I, I can't remember the last time a, a quarterback made it all the way through the year. And so, you know, the idea that Emory Jones, I mean, if, if Emory Jones comes in day one, he's ready. That's great. Put Tony at a wide receiver and do it. Yep. But I, but I think you're still going to need somebody to step in at backup at some point in the year, because running this offense, the guys they have are either small and talented or they're maybe a little bit larger, but unproven or not necessarily as good a pocket passers. Hey, Bill, before you jump in there, I want to get your opinion on this. Kind of ex explaining or extending what Will said, and I've seen it brought up when I've brought this up on Twitter and now in the YouTube chat as well, is, you know, do you keep him as a backup and risk? Like, uh, first of all, like, how long do you let this go on? If you try him at quarterback and if it's a slow start and you know he's a playmaker at wide receiver, how long do you keep him at quarterback? I guess it also depends on how well the other guys are doing. So, you know, do you leave him as a backup? Do you see how long he can be a starter or are you hurting your offense by taking him out of that receiver, maybe quote unquote, Percy Harvin rule? Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to go with my, my other objections. Oh, okay. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's cool. I mean, look, Tony is a dynamic playmaker and, and I think Will brings up a good point. You don't want to, you don't want to tank your quarterback position, which is your most important position, not only in the context of this rebuild, but in the context of football in general, it's the most important and it has to get fixed. You've got to find the guy. So you don't want to, you know, tank your potential there out of uh, fear of not having everybody on the field at once. But it, to me, I would disagree with that statement only in the sense that I think that Tony is the playmaker. He's the complement to the quarterback in, in this, this offense right now and on this roster. I, you know, I just don't think there's another guy 
maybe Malik Davis to a certain extent, but as far as a guy that can just spark the offense from any position on the field, whether he's in at Wildcat quarterback, whether he maybe if he is taking uh, a drop back to pass the ball um, out at wide receiver, you can hand him the ball, it can run a reverse. It's just he can affect the game from any position on the field, and so I think that's a perfect element to have. Uh, and a perfect building block for Dan Mullen. And I want to keep him there because I think while his potential might be okay to good at quarterback, I think it's great as a perimeter weapon. And so I would not want, I would kind of look at it reverse because I think so highly of him as a perimeter weapon. I don't want to sap his potential there for what I don't consider high potential to quarterback. So you, yeah. do, you, do you think he should get a shot to start with? Or no, you? I, I would not. I would okay. Now, but I say that I would give him reps at quarterback, but I would build it as part of a package for him. And I like the idea, kind of like what Will was talking about, as a compliment to Emory Jones. Now, of course, you got to have somebody that's capable back there, or else you might have to do what Will's saying. Because you're right, Will. If you don't have another guy, you're going to have to do it. And in that case, I would agree with you. But I would look at it as a short-term solution. And again, that's another thing I don't like because I, I want to let this kid continue to develop as a perimeter weapon. But we do have to get this quarterback position fixed. So, no, I would not leave him as a backup quarterback. I would give him reps, build him a wildcat package. I would let him throw out of it. I would. I think that was part of the problem last year. I think they would try to throw it with him once or twice. And people can complain about accuracy, but I'll never forget the spring game where Cam Newton couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. You know, so that kind of thing can be cleaned up, especially with Mullen. Maybe it is a footwork issue. You maybe get cleaned up. So no, I would not leave it back up. I'd give him a package as a wildcat. I'd let it grow, and I'd see how that fits in the offense. See who they could bring along to become a starter. And if it doesn't work out, then you'd throw him in there full time. And I'm not saying you don't play Emory Jones if he's the best player. I mean, if he yeah, comes, I'll, in, I'll, if he's yeah, just lighting yeah. it up. I, I mean, mean, I want to make that clear too. I'm not, in no way saying Emory Jones can't be the guy. <laughs> no, I just, I just think that when you look at it, you look at all the profiles of of the experience that people have, how that correlates from high school to college. Tony has a profile where he's going to complete 63 to 64 percent of his passes. Worst case. And he's going to be there for three years because he's not the kind of guy that the NFL is going to look at and say, oh, we need that guy. So if you're talking about a rebuild where you need a guy who's going to be the quarterback, this isn't like you're putting somebody back there who's 6'5", 245, and, and he's going to be gone in a year, and then you're back to rebuilding. So this isn't like bringing in a transfer like Stidham where now Auburn has to worry about, is he going to leave? It's not the same situation. So, I mean, I look at it and just say, if my baseline is the playmaking ability in the backfield, along with the ability to complete just normal passes, I think that's a huge step up from where we've been. And then the other thing is, is that one of my biggest complaints last year was the, was the offense never got the ball to the playmakers often enough. And if he's playing quarterback, he touches the ball every play. And if he's your most dynamic player, he touches the ball every play. And I think that's a big deal. I, I think you don't have to have a get-it-to-him list if he's the guy getting the snap. And I think most dynamic offenses, I mean, Mayfield for Oklahoma, Fromm for Georgia. You look at Alabama, they really struggle on offense because Hurts doesn't necessarily have that ability. And you look at Clemson going from Deshaun Watson to Kelly Bryant, there's a significant drop-off once you get in those games where you're playing against ranked opponents, which is where McIlwain struggled, right? So, um, you know, I, again, I think the best guy is going to get the job, but, but I think it's worth looking at Tony. I think Tony's profile – his size makes people think that he's not as good as he is. I think he's much better than people give him credit for because of what they see when they look at him rather than looking at his long-term track record of playing. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to see where, where Dan Mullen goes with this and Kadarius Tony. I mean, he may never, he may never, may never even get a snap uh, when when spring rolls around. Uh, but uh, I definitely think he should get a shot. And if it's not working out early, then I don't think anything's hurt. Uh, much like Bill said, I don't want to hurt his development out at wide receiver to playmaker position either. So if it's not working out early, you know, just don't don't sit there and, and try and, and make it work. Uh, but uh, I, I personally, I would like to see him get a shot and, and see where he goes from there. <laughs> Uh, if, if if he doesn't get a snap at quarterback, I'm going to have a conniption. <laughs> like, I mean, there, I mean, there has to at least be a package. If there's not a package, yeah, yeah. I'm going on the warpath, man. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm more talking starting quarterback. There we go. Yeah, I agree. There has to be uh, 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 him behind center in some way, some form or fashion. <clears throat> Guys, you ready to talk some uh, coaching hires? Absolutely. I know this is where uh, Bill's been waiting to go for this one. Uh, <laughs> you've, been, you've been working on this one for a couple weeks now, right? I have, well, yeah, I've been kind of sitting on it. I kind of did some analysis and 
and the know, timing and the timing couldn't be better. No, I, right. I had to add <laughs> a little extra line item today. <laughs> I wasn't expecting the Sinceri hire. Right, right. Uh, we heard the rumors yesterday. Uh, so, yeah, it came true. But uh, FaudaGators.com put up a report today. Uh, but, of course, the announcement was out. So a lot of this information comes from them. But Dan Mullen announced the addition to his staff of two veteran coaches who have more than 60-year combined coaching experience, Greg Knox and Sal Sinceri. Knox follows Mullen from Mississippi State where he worked as running backs coach from 2019 or 2009 to 2017 and special teams coordinator from 2014 to 2017, uh, 20 years of SEC coaching experience at Ole Miss, Auburn, Mississippi state. Uh, recently, uh, he was the interim coach, uh, for the tax layer bowl, uh, after Dan Mullen left to take the job at Florida, Knox took over uh, the Mississippi state program, uh, for bowl season, uh, over the course of his nine seasons, tutored, uh, a uh, 1,000 yard rusher five times. Four of those backs reached the NFL uh, with his latest story, Eris Williams, probably going to the NFL coming up soon. Uh, now, Sunseri, 34 years of coaching experience. That includes 10 seasons in the NFL, five in the SEC. Prior to his stint with the Raiders, he spent two years at Florida State, 2013 2014. Helped Florida State to a 13 1 Rose Bowl campaign in 2014 and an undefeated BCS National Championship in 2013. Following the 13th season, he was promoted to head coach of defense at FSU uh, while continuing to serve as defensive ends coach. Uh, 2014 Seminole defense was key to Florida State School, an ACC record 29-game winning streak, 12th longest streak in NCAA history. Seven FSU defenders were named to the all-ACC team in 2014. Uh, Mario Edwards Jr. led the team with 11 tackles for loss, three sacks, five passes defended, two forced fumbles. Uh, with Sinceri at FSU, they went 28-1. and one. Uh, So, you know, of, co- of course, the experience there, uh, we remember his name well at FSU. Years of SEC experience. He was defensive coordinator at Tennessee. Uh, that didn't work out uh, as far as a defensive coordinator, but he's a great position coach, really good recruiter. Uh, Florida got two good ones here with a lot of SEC experience, Bill. Yeah, they did. And I'd, I'd like to hit on these guys and then I'd kind of give an overview if we, if we have time as far as how Mullen is building this staff by the numbers. Um, but just to kind of start with Sinceri, first let me give you the one negative because I, I don't want to seem like I'm homering out tonight. He is 58. And while that's not, you know, not a senior citizen by any means, he, you know, he's been around the, the SEC block. He's been to the NFL. And we do have to wait and see if he comes back with that fire and he still has the desire to – to recruit hungry and to, to produce the results that he's produced before. So is this a slam dunk hired gun? This guy's going to recruit the lights out and paint off the walls. Well, we'll see. He's got to prove it. And I'm not convinced of that. However, when you look at what this guy has as a resume, what he can walk into living rooms with and sell, this is an individual who we've seen the proven results. He's recruited three five-stars and eight four-stars, I think, in his career. He brought Demarcus Walker into FSU, who was studly for them, Jalen Ramsey. He got Cyrus Quanjo at Alabama. This is a guy that has three national championship rings, two from Alabama, one from FSU. He is a guy that had a seven-year stint as a defensive line coach with the Carolina Panthers and had all but one season had a Pro Bowl defensive line. Had eight total Pro Bowl selections in his seven seasons from his defensive line group, including Julius Peppers, Chris Jenkins, and Mike Rucker. So this is a guy that's going to walk into living rooms and say, oh, yeah, I know about recruiting, and, and I've been through the college experience. And, yes, I've coached in the state of Florida. Yes, I've coached in the SEC. Yes, I've coached in the national title games. Yes, I have coached in the NFL, and I know what it takes to put you in the Pro Bowl. And then he flashes his rings. So what more do you want in a, in a hire? You know, this is a guy that has experience in the 3-4. You know, he's got defensive coordinator experience. I think he's got five years as a defensive coordinator, various stops, 17 years as a defensive line coach, and 21 as a linebacker's coach. And while he was a linebacker's coach at Oakland, um, you got to remember that linebacker and defensive line are kind of a fuzzy thing now. So some of these concepts are going to be interchangeable within Grantham's defense. So this is a guy that's just – the resume is just almost perfect. I think there are two things here. One is when he played, he was an all-American linebacker at Pittsburgh. So, so he's not one of those guys who is, you know, who is a running back who is now a defensive line coach. Um, He's somebody who has played on the defense, been on the defense much of his career. And, and the big thing here, I think, and maybe, you know, Bill, you maybe can expand on this, but the idea that he's got so much NFL experience, this isn't a guy who had one year as an assistant with a team that went, oh, and 
you know, that went one and 15, the staff got fired. Now he's back in college. I mean, this is a guy who spent an extensive amount of time in the NFL. And that's not necessarily something that the rest of the staff has a ton of having NFL experience. I know when we were talking a month or two ago about what we, what you wanted to see specifically bill and hires, it was sec Florida ties and NFL, you know, somebody who can come in and say, I'm going to get you the pros and, and since Harry checks that box definitively. Yeah, he, he definitely does. And, and man, I, I was kind of skirting on this stuff that I was going to bring up. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to delay it a little bit, but you're right. You know, there's, this is not a staff, and, and I'll kind of go over this in a minute, but it's not a staff that's heavy on NFL experience. Uh, but you certainly don't want to have one, I don't think, without that to sell. And, and suddenly there are a couple of guys there now that, that are bringing this to the table. And I'm really happy about the way it's going. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But do we need to talk about Greg Knox before I get to that? Well, one thing before we move on here, and kind of to connect two dots here, CC Jefferson, South Sanceri, and where he's coming from. Like as Will said, these pre, these uh, Oakland, hey, they were a pretty good team definitely last year. You know, fell off last year, but uh, fell off this past year. But really good defense uh, two seasons ago, uh, and now he's coming from that. And look, you know, I'm sure CC. Of course, got his NFL draft grade and all that, but you know these are guys that are looking at feedback, looking at coaches, and Sanceri can come right in right away, tell him what he needs to work on, tell him what he needs to be, tell him how he needs to be in this new system, and, that, and he can share that info with a lot of other players now. So, yeah, this latest stint as an NFL coach after being connected with Nick Saban for so long, I mean, the, the dots connect themselves here as, a, as making it a pretty good hire. They really do. I think it's a great – a great fit. And, and this guy is going to walk into the room and command instant respect from this unit, you know, and, and that's exactly what they need. They need to build some quick trust because these guys are probably feeling a little let down from their experience with the past staff. And when you, when you look at um, the success that a lot of these guys have had, there's a lot of national championship rings floating around in that room between Gonzalez and, and Mullen and Hevesy and Sanceri. Um, so yeah, and Grant, and so I think Grant the has one. Um, Did we lose Bill? Oh no, there he is. I'm here. Okay, there he is. Don't don't boot me again. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Greg Knox, Bill, and <clears throat> you also mentioned it right before we came on, and how Florida may be shuffling the coaching numbers here. And you brought up something I hadn't really thought of because it's kind of been a foregone conclusion, especially for Gator fans, just because of, and also because of how popular he is, but. You know, you're not a hundred percent sold that this means you know, Jawan Sider stays on staff. I'm not, and I, I like the Greg Knox hire. He's a guy that uh, he was the interim head coach when Mullen left Mississippi State. He's been with Mullen a long time. He's a known commodity to him, and I believe that he felt he could impact this program. Um, he's also potential special teams coordinator. But the thing that concerns me a little bit is that here we are in the first week of January, and Jawan Sider is still not officially announced by the university as part of the new coaching staff. Yes, he was there celebrating on National Signing Day. And yes, he's been heavily involved in recruiting, but it's not official. And until it's official, it's not official. And now here we are four or five days after Mississippi State's bowl game, and now they're announcing that Greg Knox hired. So when you look at Greg Knox, a guy that is almost exclusively running backs experience, at least since the last decade, and then you look at Juwan Sider, who is – been a running backs coach pretty much the whole way you have to wonder is this a sign that maybe they've had an answer of no from Jawan Sider or have decided to go another direction um, I think there's two ways to look at it and that's the negative the the other one is that well maybe one of those guys moves to tight ends maybe uh, Greg Knox becomes the special teams coordinator and helps out in some other way and so it could be a good sign that they just added another quality coach or it could be and that as a Gator fan, it's a bad sign that maybe Sider is going to head elsewhere. And I, I'm not really sure yet. Yeah, and, and as Will brought it up too, Jawan Sider did retweet C.C. Jefferson's tweet about staying for his senior year. So <laughs> that, that's kind of the latest if we're going to connect those dots. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's some, some optimism that he'll be back. But like I said, I don't like the fact that it hasn't been announced, and I'm hoping to see that in the next few days. Well, and if he's following, if Mullen's following the Urban Meyer playbook, though, I mean, Urban Meyer put an enormous emphasis on special teams. And so, you know, maybe this is a sign that he's going to put that same kind of emphasis on special teams, that they're going to pay Knox what he's worth as both a running back coach and a special teams coordinator, but say, hey, you got to fix this side of the ball because there hasn't been a kickoff return for more than 15 yards that I can remember in the last two or three years. So, um, you know. 
maybe that's one of the things that they'll do is they'll have him on special teams. They'll start putting starters on special teams again, emphasize that and say, hey, we may not have necessarily the talent to compete with Alabama and Georgia, but we're going to put our best guys on special teams, coach them up, and try to gain an edge there. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's more than one way to skip that when you talk about the organization of the staff and how they approach special teams. So, like, I was tempted to say a minute ago that it's negligent in the day, the era now of having a 10th assistant to not have a special teams coordinator. But then again, you could just divide that pie up and have several guys attack it as, you know, part of their duty. So, but I would like to see a special teams coordinator. Yeah, I don't like not having a special teams coordinator because then people start pointing fingers when things go wrong. I'd much rather have somebody where everybody could, you know, we saw Saban go after his offensive coordinator in that game the other night. Everybody knew exactly who he was yelling at and why he was yelling at him. <laughs> and that's sort of, you know, that kind of accountability on a staff I think is important, particularly in an area where Florida struggled. Other than the kicking, um, you know, the punting and the field goal kicking has been really good, but the actual special teams has really struggled. I think you, you can the look at the part you actually team. have to coach. <laughs> You know, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I was, you know, I had some time off for the holidays and stuff, and I just pulled up the 2008 Florida LSU game just for the fun of it because, you know, Florida went crazy in that game on offensive side of the ball and sitting there watching in special teams, and Joe Hayden's making a tackle on special teams, and he's your starting cornerback, and a darn good quarterback at that, and you have, you know, Chris Rainey blocking punts, and, you know, it's just, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, it's, they put an emphasis on special teams, and hopefully Dan Mullen picked that part up where he gets these faster athletes that he can recruit up Florida, and those guys are on the uh, on the uh, special teams again. And uh, I want to point it out there, our good friend Thomas Goldcamp at 24-7 Sports, Gatorbait.net, had a nice break at, breakdown of the staff today and, and points out, uh, even though the staff's not complete yet, the seven assistants that have been officially announced have combined 75 years of coaching experience in the SEC. And, that, I mean, that's that's crazy. It's, it's really – you could tell what Dan Mullen wanted to focus on. He wanted to get people. Uh, and, and also, you know, this kind of goes back to the hiring of Dan Mullen as well as of, of Scott Strickland wanting to hire a guy who knows what to do in the SEC, knows how the SEC works, knows how Florida works. And that's headed by Dan Mullen with 13 years of experience and then everybody else, with, you know, in, in combination with him, 75 years of coaching experience in the SEC, I think it's clear to say that the direction that this coaching staff's going in. It is, and, and this is perfect to segue into what I was going to talk about because I broke this down um, in a comparison to the last three transition staffs we've seen at Florida. When you had Urban Meyer come in at 2005, when you had Will Muschamp come in in 2011, and when you had Jim McElwain come in in 2015, and they each built their staffs. They, they each had their own personality. I mean, what you saw was McElwain, he was the heaviest of the three on SEC experience. Now, sometimes that was in the form of a guy from Kentucky like Nord, but, you know, <laughs> still he hired, you know, they had seven on their staff, uh, including McElwain, of the ten uh, that had SEC experience. And that was more than you saw uh, from Muschamp when he only had four, and there was only two from, from Meyer in 2005. Well, Muschamp kind of put more of an emphasis on the NFL. You know, four of those guys, including Muschamp, had NFL experience when you didn't have any in, in Meyer's staff and you only had three uh, with McElwain. And then, you know, Urban Meyer, of course, he was the guy that brought his the most of his old staff. He trusted his gang to come in and get the job done. He brought over uh, four of them where McElwain, you know, McElwain just left everybody and then Muschamp didn't have a staff and didn't bring anybody from Texas with him. But when, when you look at this, when you look at, you know, who was retained and, and how much UF experience and Florida experience and SEC experience, we're sitting here looking at a staff from Dan Mullen that is incomplete. You know, they've only got seven of the guys hired. And still, he's already tied with McElwain for the most uh, SEC experience, uh, which I guess actually if you add Mullen in, he's already got eight. So <laughs> every one of them has got SEC experience. Uh, you got them already tied uh, with Muschamp for the most prior UF experience because remember Mullen, Hevesy, and Gonzalez have been at the school before. You've got uh, him tied with Meyer already with four coaches who were brought over from the old staff where he was at Mississippi State. So what we're seeing is yes, like like Thomas Goldcamp said, it's an extremely experienced staff when you look at it from the SEC standpoint, but we're starting to see the state of Florida experience. We're starting to see um, the NFL experience emerge. They've only got two there, but when you couple that with the fact that he is taking the best of what Meyer did, he's he's matched these the best of these other transitions classes in every category. So 
all things considered, we're seeing him bring what he considered was the best of his staff. And now he looks to him like he's peppering it with upgrades. And I, I think he's doing a heck of a job. I honestly do. I'm not homering out. But this staff, if they can hold on to Cider and add one or two more, you know, young recruiter types, this is gonna this is on the verge of an A plus. Well, and I think you look at you look at it's interesting. I hadn't heard people talk about Meyer bringing his staff from from Utah, but certainly I think that continuity helps when it comes when there's a transition. And I think we saw that with the early signing period, right? That the guys who were all the guys who Mullen was already familiar with were the guys who were out there on the trail, the guys recruiting the important people that they needed to go after. And that's how you end up with somebody like Emory Jones. That's how you end up with somebody like Trey Dean. And you look at Meyer's first year in 2005. He brought in eight blue chip recruits, and they're going to exceed that this year if they get any. Yes, to commit on to commit on signing day and and you know they're still in the running for some five star five star guys if they can bring in one or two five stars and end up with 10 11 12 blue chip recruits i mean for a transition class that's really impressive and i think a lot of that is owed to the continuity and then a lot of the sec experience comes from the fact that mullen spent the last nine years well i guess he spent more than that because he was at florida before then but he spent the last nine years as a head coach in the sec all those guys he's bringing with him who have continuity with him are also people who have SEC experience. So, um, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about that parallel between Meyer and Mullen, but really the continuity, I think both for this year's transition class, but really going into 2019 will be a big deal as well because they all know how everybody works. Think about this from when you talk about continuity. You know, one interesting thing I noticed when I looked at these, these other three transition staff, uh, and I didn't expect this, but there were four coaches on each one of those in 2005, 2011, 2015 that carried an additional title, whether that was, you know, coordinator or associate head coach, recruiting coordinator, whatever, four guys with a title. <clears throat> and what we're looking at now, let's be optimistic and say that Greg Knox becomes a special teams coordinator or whatever. Well, if that's Wait, the case, Special teams and tight ends. Special teams and tight ends. <laughs> so let's say he's a special teams guy and Grantham's the defensive guy and then Hevesy and – Gonzalez split the offensive coordinator duties as co-offensive coordinators. Well, that means the foundation of your coaching staff, all four of your titled assistants and your coordinators were guys you brought with you from your prior stop. And what that allows you to do is keep – Hey, Bill, Bill, before you – and don't forget, Brian Johnson was previously with Mullen as well before he came from Houston this past year. Oh, yeah, he's definitely focusing on known commodities. But if you think about it, to have that kind of leadership foundation of your team, to, the basic infrastructure of each phase of the game laid out with guys that you know and trust, that you have worked with, that's an extreme amount of continuity. And it allows you to go out and say, now let's go get a young up-and-comer in Brian Johnson. And let's get a young up-and-comer in Charlton Warren. And, and let's bring in the experience of, and that, that resume of Sal Sanceri. You do that one or two more times, it, it just frees you up to not have to reinvent the wheel and change the systems and the terminology. They're going to hit the ground running and hit the ground recruiting too. Well, I was, I was, you read my mind. I was just about to say that. You, you, but you probably can go ahead and attribute to what we've seen so far. Uh, definitely with the recruitment of Emory Jones, that being the familiarity with Gonzalez and Johnson and Mullen, that definitely is an example right there of what you're talking about with the continuity. It, it helped in that recruitment, but it also could be where all these names that are start, now starting to pop up that's interested in Florida, uh, they know these guys, and they just don't know just Mullen. They know his assistants as well. So I, I think that's why we are seeing such uh, potential uh, and some results so far of the, on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I think it absolutely is, and I think they have every reason to, to put their faith in this staff. I mean, they this staff is looking very well-rounded, a good mix of younger and older guys and guys that have the experience, like we said. I think that we're seeing about as best we could hope for from recruiting at this point. I really mean that. Now, are they going to be able to finish? Are they going – I mean, there's a scale there of how things could end up, and can they continue to take ground and and climb this uphill climb that they've got to climb against the Georgias and the FSUs and the Alabamas of the world? Well, because we all know – the excuses can only last for so long, and that's yet to be determined. But I'm very, very optimistic based on what I've seen so far. And I think going back to that continuity, it really it explains why they would be willing to go after Emory Jones and Justin Fields, and 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 potentially upset Matt Corral. Right? The idea that that you're going to go after your guy. This is this is our system. This is how we run. And and there wasn't there wasn't any hedging at all. It doesn't seem like from the staff. And and I think that's part of the other thing that led them to get the guy that they wanted is that there wasn't any hedging. They knew what they wanted. They went after it. And they they went after it day one. And 
you know, part of that is bringing in the support staff from Mississippi State. Part of that is bringing in the coaches that you know. And part of it is just having trust that when you send Gonzalez out there to do to do the recruiting job, you know exactly the message that he's giving that recruit so that you can then call and follow up with that exact same message. And that guy's hearing the same vision and the same you know, the same mission statement and the same, hey, this is how we're going to build it from everybody on staff. And you don't have to figure that out with the guys you're bringing in. And, uh, you know, I think we can see the effect of that just up the road. I mean, the, the, the staff at Florida State does not have that kind of continuity, and that's going to cause them problems this year, even if Taggart puts together a really good, a really good uh, set of assistants. Hey, he probably tried to do that continuity, but uh, I think Mario Cristobal. I think Mario Cristobal had other plans. <laughs> Oregon made it rain. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think you are going to take these guys, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoops, sorry. I'm going to have to borrow your Cristobal. <laughs> uh, talking about recruiting, you guys want to talk uh, Under Armour game right quick? Whatever, man. Uh, yeah. So Emory Jones and Trey Dean, of course. Um, you know, they they headline of uh, what Gator fans want to see there. Uh, but Emory Jones started out with a nice week, and then it's gotten worse as the week is going on. Game is Thursday night, so we'll see how uh, he does in the game setting where he'll be able to use his legs a little more. But struggling in an all-star game setting doesn't really worry me at all. Uh, it's a limited playbook with limited time. I don't think it's a sign at all if he sh- struggles in some of these practices when it's really uh, also cold and rainy and wet. And, uh, you know, Some guys are doing well in it and stuff. But with what we're seeing, uh, I-, I don't worry um, about – you know, really the on-field performance as much uh, in these all-star games. Uh, one thing I am impressed with is the way he's doing some recruiting uh, down there and, and really getting to the ear of uh, you know, the guys he's said himself that he's talking to and Tommy Bush, Jacob Copeland, Quay Walker, uh, you, know, um, you know, some other receivers there uh, that he's looking at. So, uh, you know, I think it, not only is it an advantage of, of, you know, just being on TV and having the Gator logo uh, up when Emory Jones is playing and, and, you know, people from around the nation can see it. But Trey Dean and Emory Jones – and Trey Dean, by the way, is just really setting it on fire down there. Rave reviews from from him being able to play multiple positions in the secondary. Uh, but with the guys having success down there and being able to be in the ears, ears of these other recruits, it's been a while since we've seen uh, these all-star games and, you know, this Under Armour game where you felt good about Florida having recruits down there because they actually have some down there now. They're also being able to, to, to help recruit – with a lot of other uncommitted prospects that now have Florida as a target. And look, they're, they're setting up this this last visit weekend in February to, to be a huge weekend where all these names are flooding in. And you can really contribute it to, to Emory Jones and company doing some recruiting at this All-Star game. You can. You can. Emory Jones seems to have embraced a role, and they really need that right now. They need every bit of traction they can get because, I mean, let's be honest, this this whole effort was kind of starting from a stop. I mean, things had ground to a halt as far as perception of the program. And I, I don't mean to say that the, the recruiting had completely fallen off, but, you know, I've said several times how, you know, they had reached this high-level recruiting class, and it, it was fractured. You could see it coming. The the promises didn't come to fruition, and, and the image that had been built there of, of the future had just completely shattered. And so it, it, I think this was a very formidable task for Mullen. It's been a formidable task for, for Emory Jones and those who would undertake it to kind of rebuild. And I think they're, they're showing some good promise there and they're showing aggression. And, that, and that's the main thing. You're just getting after it. And, and hopefully we see it pay off. And like you said, that February 2nd weekend, that's the last weekend before signing day, which is February 4th. They're, they're putting a lot of eggs in that basket to get the last crack at those kids. And that could be viewed as a very good sign. you got guys coming in that weekend. Uh, they include Jacob Copeland, the wide receiver. Coinus Miller, who's a big-time, uh, I believe he's an Auburn commit uh, defensive tackle and could really change the complexion of the class. Dorian Gerald, the four-star Juco defensive end. Jamarcus Chapman's another defensive tackle. is a three-star. Mario Goodrich is a athlete that's a four-star, almost a top 100 recruit. Um, and I believe there's a four-star cornerback that uh, is a top 50 or 60 player in the nation just today that said he's going to come in that weekend. The double-edged sword of that is can you get him to hold off that long? Do they go visit other schools in the meantime and commit elsewhere? Uh, I tend to think that they're going to get most of those kids in there, and they've got a chance to have a really big finish. Yeah, and if, if Jones is commit is uh, recruiting people, he needs to he needs to recruit Nicholas Petit Frere because uh, <laughs> they had a the only real thing I saw from the Under Armour practices it was late one night and I flipped it over and they were doing a pass rush drill where basically the offensive lineman is at a severe disadvantage because the defensive lineman has zero run responsibilities and his only goal is to beat the guy in pass protection and most of the offensive linemen were getting beat on a fairly regular basis and. 
Petit Frere just did not. <laughs> he was sitting there left tackle, and no <laughs> one was. Beating him. <laughs> he, he he looked a little bit skinnier than you would like for a left tackle. But I went, wow! I want that guy to be my left tackle because in a drill that was designed to get him beat, he was not getting beat by these guys who were elite. And so hopefully that's the guy Jones is going after. He's the one that if you know if, if Mullen doesn't sign anybody else, but he gets him, I'm going to have nothing bad to say come National Signing Day. He might be the best shot that Florida has right now in a five star. Yeah, and I mean, and looking at um, it, it's a very quiet recruitment so far, and it's just now starting to come out a little bit since he's at this all-star setting, and people could get more interviews to him because he kind of has to now with the media right in his face. He has to answer some questions, but you are starting to see there there is some. You know, he's admitted he got he has to get to know Mullen more and Hevesy more, uh, and those the guys he's going to be talking to the most. But uh, you know, I think Florida really is squarely in his in, in his eyes for, for recruiting along with Alabama and a lot of the other big time programs. So I know Michigan, when they were in town uh, for their bowl game, they held a practice at his high school. Uh, so it was, it, it was there. And the, the only reason, and you know how Jim Harbaugh works is to get this five star to notice the Michigan program. That guy's such a dork. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be coaching the Colts soon anyway. Yeah. He might be coaching his high school soon. <laughs> <laughs> After losing to South Carolina, some Michigan fans are actually finally starting to kind of maybe push him out. <laughs> yeah, maybe he wants to go to UCF and play for national titles. <laughs> oh, yeah, not tweeted that out the other way. This is one last, one last zing in the McElwain era. Must champ beat Michigan. You did not. <laughs> oh, God. oh, man. Must champ beat Florida State, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm just talking the same year here. We open up with Michigan, get our brains beat in. Oh, this year, yeah, yeah, yeah. If Michael Wayne was a Star Wars movie, he would be the last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I still liked it. Come on. I don't know. Don't get me started, Dave. I'll ruin the show. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, hey, before we sign off on this one, yeah, we're going about an hour here. College football playoff championship predictions right quick, guys. Uh Hey, great – hey, what a heck of a Rose Bowl game it was between Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, I was back and forth. I finally switched my decision to Georgia a couple of days before that game was played. Um, that one turned out – I picked Clemson. Uh, that didn't turn out. Alabama controlled that game all the way. Uh, but with the way Georgia's looking right now, uh, and I hate to pick against Alabama again, but I'm going to. I'm going Georgia. I, I don't want to. Uh, believe me, I, I really don't. Um, uh, but I just think that running game's going strong. I think their defense is about on par with Alabama's. I, I don't see much differences in those defenses right now. Yes, I know they struggled against Oklahoma, uh, but look at remember Alabama these last two years against Clemson when they had really good defenses, and Clemson was out there putting the points up and, and marching up and down the field in that type of defense as well. So uh, I'm picking Georgia here. I just think that running game is special. That, that those Chubb and Michelle uh, has got it going. That they're Tough in the trenches as well. Jalen Hurts has it progresses as, as yes, they're in the national title game. Don't get me wrong; it's still a good season, but not progress enough as a passer, uh, I think, to to overcome that Georgia defense. So I I got Georgia by you know about a touchdown or so. I'm going Bama. I, I'm going to just stick to my principles here. I think I'd be right <laughs> nine out of ten times. I think they're the top to bottom the more talented team. And I know they got a little bit of problems right now, and I'm tempted to go Georgia because. I think they might be firing on all cylinders better than Bama right now. Uh, but I just have a feeling that ma the matchup is going to be totally different. Of course, you want to get Bama than it will be against Oklahoma. And I'm still not convinced Oklahoma was that good of a team. Um, I'm going to stick with Bama. I'm definitely going Alabama. I think that's really the the determining factor. I know you tweeted out something about flag football being played in the Big 12 the other day, Bill, and it certainly looked like it. I mean, there were just, I mean, there were holes larger than the ones that uh, Michelle ran through against Florida earlier this year yeah. against Oklahoma. I mean, you know, it was 75, it was 50, it was 35. I mean, every time he got the ball, there wasn't anybody around to touch him, and that is not going to happen against Alabama. Alabama can win one-on-one -on -one matchups up front. And they showed it against Clemson because Clemson, you know, is a team that throughout the year has been able to really sort of hide some of the quarterback limitations that they have. And Bryant's a fine player. He's not just not Deshaun Watson, and they've been able to hide that. And if you look at if you look at how Alabama gets beat, they either turn the ball over three or four times, or they're really, really injured and they don't and they're depleted 
and they're playing an outstanding quarterback. And so do you think Fromm is as good as Deshaun Watson? Do you think Alabama is going to turn the ball over multiple times? I think if they take care of the ball, they're going to win. So that's what scares me is because all the reasons y'all said is what I've been saying for so long. And, and I even <laughs> said if Georgia and Alabama match up, I think Alabama's going to win. But after this weekend, for and I hate to go by this weekend's games to to, to change my mind, but it did in a way. So uh, I I was saying the same thing, talking to all my Georgia buddies, like, man, Bama's the worst matchup for y'all. I don't know if you can do it. And then when the game gets here, I'm picking Georgia. So. <laughs> Well, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to diminish at all what Georgia just did against uh, against Oklahoma. I mean, if you'd have told me they had to score 54 points to win, I would have told you, I think Oklahoma's playing the championship game. So as much as I hate to do it, you know, congratulations to Georgia. I just, they aren't going to put up 54 against Bama, though Bama isn't going to put up 48 or whatever again against Georgia. But, uh, you know, a true freshman quarterback in the national championship against the Nick Saban defense. Like you said, Bill, I think you might be wrong once out of 10 but but the percentages say you got to go with bama that's right man yeah i did i just retweeted the the tweet earlier from Stephen alley lee and i know uh, will retweeted it earlier too if uga wins the natty i'm declaring ucf champs in my book <laughs> <laughs> the only that's way you'll get right. me to acknowledge it <laughs> no, we, we, we can have fun with that all off season i bet <laughs> oh boy hey dave i got a, a quick shout out if you don't mind we go right ahead uh, i had some fans uh Reach out to me. Actually, twin brothers are they're huge fans of the Gators. They listen to the show. It's uh, Johnny and Justin Becker asked for a shout out, and I definitely wanted to give it to them. Guys, thank you for reaching out, and thank you for uh, continuing supporting the show and uh, and supporting our Gators, man. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, and I, I know we did this kind of last week, but this is our first show of 2018. So uh, thanks to everybody out there for making 2017 what it was. Uh, big year for us. Uh, you know, uh, us three, we came together uh, as one big podcast now, and, and it really took off. So uh, glad that, you know, we, we can't thank you guys enough. I know we've done it on, on Twitter and uh, Periscope and all that, but uh, in, in show form, we want to do it one more time because uh, 2017 was great. We got some big things working for 2018. Uh, and just uh, one, one big thank you again. Yeah, definitely. I mean, now Bill's the number one Gator media guy as, as, voted, by, <laughs> as voted by our Twitter followers. So, man, they got some power behind them. We rounded up the top four. Yeah, thanks a lot, number four. I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Got to get to number three next year. (laughs) Yeah, guys, thank you all so much, man. And uh, probably the next show or two here, we'll throw out uh, another poll and get some better interaction and stuff. We just had so much news to cover tonight. Um, And uh, also, um, they want to kind of tease up, do a little research. People have asked me to to research the correlation between stars and quarterbacks uh, because – there's some debate on whether that will be the same as the overall team rankings and their talent. Uh, so I have been working on that. And in addition to that, I've been working up some uh, different statistical analysis on just how national championship quarterbacks perform to, to see what we actually need to see from a, a quarterback on a championship team to get there. So uh, that'll be fun as we have time for that soon. Absolutely. And I know we've talked about it too. So uh, we'll probably do, uh, I know it was real popular last time we did it, uh, but news will kind of be slowing down except for recruiting uh, and all that, but uh, we'll probably do another question and answer type of show uh, as well uh, as a as another big thank you. So uh, I know that was really well received last time. So I know uh, we got a ton of questions, and uh, we we'll, we'll have enough to do it again. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, will, uh, what you working on for reading reaction coming up? Well, right now, if people want to head over there, I've got an article on how Emory Jones fits into Dan Mullen's offense. I got an article about Dan Mullen and getting the ball outside and sort of the difference between him and Steve Adazio. Uh, there's obviously the article about Kadarius Tony we talked about today. And then I'm going to be working on something about uh, about the playoff and whether it should be expanded from four to eight teams. So that should be coming up in the next day or so. And uh, certainly would love to hear everybody's opinion. I know it's a polarizing topic, but uh, I kind of want to look at Kind of look at who would have been playing and and what that would have meant from a Florida perspective, um, in terms of uh, you know entertainment value more than anything. Did you did you say from four to eight or from four and eight? Four to eight. <laughs> oh man, come on! Florida was four and eight. I thought that's what you were talking about. <laughs> we can we can work that into the eighteen eight playoff. Just always has Florida in the in the uh, in the mix. That'll yeah, how big would they have to go to get Florida yeah. in there next year? <laughs> yeah. My bad. Florida was four and seven. Forgot about the canceled game. I tried to make a joke. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need a uh, what one hundred and one team playoff for Florida to get in. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Knocking on the door, baby. Not, not coming up anymore. That's hey. Right. Sorry. 
Nussmeyer ain't calling any more third and long play action, so I'm all good. <laughs> all right, guys. Anything else? No, man. Just had a good time. Can't wait to get back in the swing of things. Looking for recruiting to pick up. Oh, one last thing. Um, the, the dead period is currently going on with recruiting, which if I'm not mistaken, that means there can't be any face-to-face contact between coaches and recruits. They can call and write, and that's it. Mm-hmm. That ends January 11th. So <laughs> a week from today, it is going to be off to the races. Like I said last week, you got a lot less recruits for them to worry about now because so many are signed and official. So you got all the coaches that are focused on this small group of recruits. And so that's when the that's when the shenanigans begin. Absolutely. If don't forget the Under Armour game will be Thursday night. Uh, I don't want to really, you know, do a plug for ESPN. But only reason, you know, some Florida targets here, uh, and Florida signees, Emory Jones trading, uh, and some targets there for for the Gators. So definitely uh check that out if you wanna See some future Gators uh, that'll be on the field under Dan Mullins. So Gators Breakdown, episode 123. Uh, I'm David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. You can find Bill Sykes on Twitter at RealBSykes and Will Miles on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to Gators Breakdown.